Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may see the wonders of your word. Amen. Today we are in 1st Chronicles chapter 5 where we see the three tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. These were the tribes of Israel who settled east of the Jordan River. In verses 1 to 10 we see the descendants of Reuben. Verse 1 says, Reuben, he was the firstborn of Israel, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. So you see, Reuben, though he was firstborn, he lost the rights. So why was this firstborn such a great importance in the Bible? The birthright of the firstborn is so honored because it inherits the family's rights and privileges. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is described as the firstborn son of God as we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, Colossians 1.15 and Revelations 1.5. As God's only begotten son, Jesus received the kingdom from his father. Esau, the firstborn, lost his birthright, and so did Reuben, as we see here. But then, Jesus Christ, the firstborn, received his rights and privileges and received the kingdom from the Father. That's the reason we as the believers of Jesus Christ are warned in the Bible not to imitate Esau or Reuben. If you see in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 16 and 17 it says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he decided to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. The important lesson for us here is to respect what is holy, the birthright. We should never throw away what is important, godly or honorable for the sake of temporary pleasures of the world. Our focus should always remain on Jesus Christ who is called the heir of all things as we read in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. And we through his grace and our faith in him are counted as joint heirs as we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 17 where it says and if children then hairs, hairs of God and fellow hairs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We also read in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, hairs according to promise. And what does being a hair entitle? Titus says in chapter 3 verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become hairs according to the hope of eternal life. The salvation is our birthright, so we should guard it with all due diligence. If you read verse 10, it says, They waged war against the Hagrites who were defeated at their hands. They occupied the dwellings of the Hagrites throughout the entire region of east of Gilead. So here we see Ezra the chronicler is reminding those people of Reuben that hey look your ancestors once upon a time defeated the Hagrites or in other words he is saying you have the strength to defeat what is not of God. You have the strength to defeat the enemy. This is what he is saying to us even today. He is giving us the hope that we can be strong and defeat the Hagrites in our lives. 
What does the Hag rite signify? Let's read on to find out. Next we read in verses 11 to 21 about the tribe of Gad. You see an important thing noted in verse 18. It says, The Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 men ready for military service, able-bodied men who could handle shield and sword, who could use a bow and who were trained for battle. And they waged war against the Hagrites, Jethur, Nafish and Nodab. You see, these Hagrites, Jethur, Nafish and Nodab are the descendants of Ishmael, as we see in Genesis chapter 25 verses 13 to 16. So what does this signify? It signifies that Ishmael was not the promised son. Abraham did not wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled and he went ahead on his own strength. He thought he had to help God to achieve the promise. And similarly, in our lives, when we do the same thing, that is, if we try to bring forth the promise of God in our own terms, it turns to be a curse back to us. You see, just as the Hagrites and the others who became enemies of the Israelites that's the reason the psalmist talks a lot about waiting for the Lord. In Psalm 27 verse 14 we read, Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. In Psalm 37 7 we read, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Isaiah says in chapter 30 verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on I to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Just as we wait, the Lord also waits on high to have compassion on us. That's why we see in Luke chapter 12 verses 35 to 40, we read that be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for the master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. The greatest promise that the Lord has given us is that he is going to come down one day and take us all back with him to heaven. So are we waiting for him diligently? Are we ready if he comes and knocks at the door? And coming back to 1st Chronicles chapter 5, look at verse 20. It says, They were helped in fighting them. Who helped them? God delivered the Hagrites and all the allies into their hands. Why? Because they cried out to him during the battle. He answered their prayers because they trusted in him. That's all it takes to make God fight on our behalf. We just need to trust him so that anything that comes against us, God will deal with it. Verse 22 is an important verse which we need to read it along with verse 18. Listen what it says. It says, And many others fell slain because the battle was God's. You see, in verse 18 we read, There were about 44,760 men ready for military service, able-bodied men who could handle shield and sword and use a bow and were trained for battle. But then, look at this verse 22. The battle was God's. The battle is not always about us. It is about Him. We never need to fight any battle on our own. It's God who will strengthen us and deliver the enemy into our hands. Are you fighting a particular sin in your life? Don't fight on your own strength. Let God fight on your behalf. 
because the battle is the Lord's. By using this term, the battle is the Lord's, the chronicler Ezra is reminding these people that, hey, look what happened during the time of Samuel the prophet. As we read in 1st Samuel chapter 17, when Goliath came out and mocked the living God, it says everybody in Israel were afraid and they fled hither and thither. But then this young man David stood against him and he says in verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Look at the great testimony of David. This is exactly what was told to King Jehoshaphat when the Moabites and the Ammonites came with a great multitude against him as we read in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 and look at what the man of God Jehaziel told the king Jehoshaphat in verse 15 Thus says the Lord, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. In the New Testament we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. And then we don't need any weapons like a bow or a shield or a spear or a sword, because we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Coming back to 1st Chronicles chapter 5, in verses 23 to 26, we read about the half-tribe of Manasseh. It says they were numerous and it says in verse 24, they were brave warriors, famous men. But in verse 25 it says, they were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors and played the harlot. They prostituted themselves to the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So you see, God of Israel let them be taken as captives into exile. And the ending says where they are to this day. What a sad and pitiful end. You see, even after having tasted everything that the Lord has done, they prostituted themselves into the gods of the people in their own lands. Today, how does it relate to us? Are we living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God? Or do we want to imitate and emulate the people around us? May the Lord bless these words. Amen.